You're listening to a sermon preached at First Baptist Church in Farwell, Texas. We are committed to loving God, loving people, and going into the world to share the gospel. We pray you find this message both challenging and encouraging. If you have your Bibles, I want to invite you to the fifth chapter of the book of Acts. The fifth chapter of the book of Acts. We've been going through this wonderful historical account of the birth of Jesus for several weeks now. I believe this is our our 12th week. We're going to wrap up the fifth chapter, God willing, today. Looking at the, the culture, what was going on in the church just very soon after this explosive birth. We're still very early on in the, uh, in the, in the baby stages of the church. It is still growing daily by leaps and bounds. Hundreds, thousands of people are coming to faith in Jesus Christ. The church is expanding every single day. We've talked about this theme right here. His, speaking God, His Word... His power, His church, the corporate body of believers, sends us on our mission. And we're, we're looking at how God has done that from the very beginning of time to the very beginning of the church, and He is still doing it today. His Word, His power, by the power of the Holy Spirit, the corporate body of believers sends us on our mission. And our mission is to live for the glory of God. That is our mission, to live for the glory of God. And to do all that we can to bring as many people to heaven with us as we possibly can. That is our mission. How do we do that in the midst of all of our business, all of the things that are going on in our culture today? Well, His Word, His power, His church sends us on our mission. Acts chapter 5, starting in verse 12. Now, I need you to get comfortable this morning. Um, some weeks we look at three verses, some weeks we look at 10 or 12. Uh, this week we're going to go from 12 to 42. Oh, I know, aren't you excited? I heard a bunch of amen, I mean there's sometimes, some people say amen, some people, some people have like a holy grunt. Like I heard a bunch of holy grunts just then. I, I know they weren't, ugh, uh, I know it wasn't drudgery. Uh, but we have to take this. This is, this is one story. And, and the way we're going to do this is I want to set the scene for you, 12 through verse 17. And then I want to unpack the rest of this as different scenes. You know like how you have a, a movie or you have different sitcoms and you have, you have different scenes coming in and out. And that's kind of how we're going to look at it this morning. There is the setting, verse 12 through 17. And then there are five scenes. And we're going to unpack this just by using those five scenes. We're going to look at them. Some of them I'll spend uh, a little bit of time on some of them we will just go through because they're very self-explanatory but look with me and let's let's here's let's set the scene let's set the the movie we find it in verse 12 um all the apostles are together the, the group of Christians are coming around, and, 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 and this, this group, remember, is growing. And Luke, 
Dr. Luke, who wrote the book of Acts, gives us this historical account, gives us a summary statement. He describes what's going on in the culture in verses 12 through 17. So let's look at it together and look at what he says. Many signs and wonders, verse 12, many signs and wonders were being done among the people through the hands of the apostles. The apostles were the vehicle that God was getting the work done, okay? They were all together in Solomon's colonnade. That is all of the Christians. They were all together. There is a, a corporate body, what we would call today the church, the, the local body of believers. They were all together in Solomon's colonnade. No one else dared join. This is an interesting statement here. No one else dared join them, but the People spoke well of them. I'll explain that here in just a moment. Verse 14, believers were added to the Lord in increasing numbers, multitudes of both men and women. As a result of this popularity, as a result of the, of the growing influence of the church, the power that the Holy Spirit was doing through the apostles, look at verse 15, as a result, the people, this, this, the crowd of the, the people, most, most of them being Jews, they would carry the sick out into the streets and lay them on cots and mats so that when Peter came by, at least his shadow might fall on them, on some of them. In addition, a multitude came together from the towns surrounding Jerusalem, bringing the sick and those who were tormented by unclean spirits, and they were all healed. Here's what Luke is doing. Luke is giving us a descriptive summary story, a, a paragraph if you will, of the culture that was going on. He, he's not implying that this is going to continue to go on. He's just saying this is what's going on in the culture. There is, there is such a, 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 an explosive growth of the church there is a respectful awe of the church. If you remember a couple of weeks ago, we talked about Ananias and Sapphira filled with hypocrisy. They come into the church and Peter, you, you, remember, you remember the story where Ananias and Sapphira die instantly because they lied. They were filled with hypocrisy. And so there's this, there's this respect of, of, of the justness of God, but there is a growing love for Jesus Christ as the Messiah. Okay, so that's, that's the, the summary that is setting the scene. This, this group that we would call Christians today, that's not what they would have been called then. That name had not been created yet. No one was using that term yet. There's no category, if you will, to put this group of people in. You have Jews and you have Gentiles. Within the Jews, you have several different political factions, if you will, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the Essenes, and on and on and on you go. But, but to have these people who would now be followers of Jesus calling him the Messiah, it's a new group. It's not Jew. It's not, it's not Gentile. They're kind of somewhere outside of those known descriptors. And this group is growing. They are known as God-fearers. They believe in a man named Jesus, whom they claim to be the Son of God, and whom he claimed to be the Son of God, who was crucified, and who was buried, and, and who was resurrected and ascended. And, and they claim this group, this new group of God-fearers, who's, who's growing, this group of people is growing by leaps and bounds every single day. They claim that he is currently sitting at the right hand of God the Father, which as Christians we would all say yes and amen to. 
people from the city in the surrounding towns, they are speaking well of this group. This, this movement is a popular movement in the culture. It's new. We like this group, right? We, if, if we were going to pick, like, we were going to jump on board a new movement, this is the type of movement. We like this. Like, this is good. There's, it's popular. It seems like everybody is, is jumping on board. I mean, every single day, like, the, it's just, can you imagine, like, this Sunday, we have maybe 100 people here. Next Sunday, we had 200 people here. Next, there would be excitement. I mean, it would, there, there would be some stirring going on in the community, in the outlying areas. If every single week, we doubled and tripled in size. That's what was going on. Now, we, we like being a part of that. And if you skip forward, if we was to skip all of the story and, and look at verse 41, real quick, just if you have your Bible, just go over to verse 41, right before chapter 6. Follow along with me on the screen. We, we like this, this group of people called Christians, especially this, the first part of verse 41. Then they went out from the presence of the Sanhedrin rejoicing. Now, now, don't read the rest of that because you might decide you don't like the rest of this group. But just pause right there. If we was to take the bookends of this story, this church that is growing by leaps and bounds, and we see the end of this story that they leave the Sanhedrin and they are rejoicing, we go, man, I like being a part of that. Real quick, turn over, keep your place there in Acts. Turn, turn over with me just, just one more book to Romans chapter 8. Turn to the right, Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8, verse 35. We, we believe the Bible. We're people of the Bible. We believe that this is the Word of God. We believe God's Word is true, right? Yes, I'll say it for you. Yes and amen. Verse 35, look at what it says. Who can separate us? Who is that? That's this new group. That's us. This is Christians. Who can separate us from the love of God, from Christ? Can affliction no. Or distress? Let me answer it. No. Persecution? No. Famine or nakedness or, or danger or sword? No. As it is written, because of you, we are being put to death all day long. We are counted as sheep to be slaughtered. No, verse 30, it says in verse 37, and all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. We say yes and amen to that, right? We love being a part of the church that's growing. We love being a part of the popular group that is growing. We love being a part of the group that is rejoicing. I'm going to make a statement at the end of the message this morning. And I want to just make here, there is nothing that can rob us of our joy. Nothing. Nothing in this world that can rob us of our joy joy you say wait a minute i i like the first part of this story and i like part of the last part i don't really like that last statement you just said how how is that possible how is it possible that we read at the end of this story the apostles rejoicing 
especially after what we are about to read, what they went through. You see, this is, this is a lot of where we're at in life. We come to faith in Jesus Christ, and we love that part. We love the surrender part. We love, we love the giving our life to Jesus Christ, and, and we like the end of the story. We're told at the end of the story we're going to spend eternity with God in heaven. But how do we do this in between? Because sometimes the in-between stinks, doesn't it? Sometimes the in-between is just pretty rough. How do we do that? Well, Romans chapter 8, verse 38 says, we're more than conquerors, right? It says there's nothing that can separate us from the love of God. Well, let's see that. Let's see the example of that in the story of our text this morning. Scene number one. So you have the setting. This new group of people who they don't have a category for. They don't have a a group to really put them in just yet. Popularity is growing. Scene one. I call it joy in the jail. Scene one. Look at it. Verse 17. Then the high priest, this would be the religious leader of the day, the the. The big man, you know, not the big man upstairs, the big man downstairs, the big, the big dude. The, the high priest rose up, he and all those who were with him, who belonged to the party of the Sadducees, were filled with jealousy. Now, why, now, before we get to joy in the jail, why was the high priest and all of the Sadducees filled with jealousy? Because this new group of people led by the apostles are now getting the praise and the honor from the people whom the Sadducees used to demand praise and honor from the people. Now it is freely being given to this new group of what we would call the God-fearers, the first century Christians. And they are filled with jealousy. They're seeing what's going on in town. They're seeing that people are coming from the, from the countryside and they're bringing people to them. They're seeing people that, that, that have a, an awe and a respect for the apostles that they have not felt in quite some time as the religious elite in Jerusalem. And they are filled with jealousy. Keep going, scene number one, joy in jail, verse 18. So they arrested the apostles and put them in public jail. All 12 of them arrested all of them. Verse 19, though. I like the first three words of verse 19. See it? But you know something's about to change, right? Here are these guys, they're just they're preaching the gospel. There's people coming to faith in Jesus Christ. There's people being healed right and left. Some miraculous things are going on. They're not causing any trouble. They're actually bringing good to the city. And the religious leaders filled with jealousy throw them in jail. But an angel of the Lord opened the doors of the jail during the night, brought them out, and said, go. This might sound a little bit familiar to us. Look at what the angel says to them. Go and stand in the temple and tell the people all about this life. Here's the great commission that we see in Matthew 28. Go. And make disciples. Here's a, this is, these aren't suggestions by the angel. These are commands. These are imperative commands. Go. Imperative commands. Get out of here. Go and stand in the temple courts. Where is the temple courts? The same place that you were at when you were arrested. 
The same place you were at when you were arrested by the people who crucified your Savior. I want you to go. I want you to go where it's dangerous. I want you to go where you're not liked. I want you to go where there is an opportunity for you to be arrested again. Go stand in the temple. Here's another imperative command. The third one, tell the people all about this life. Here's, this is the, the command of the angel of the Lord. Can you imagine the arrogance, the pride, if they would have said, I'm not risking my life again. Thank you for letting me out. Thank you for setting me free, but I'm going back to fishing. <laughs> oh, what do we see? We see immediate obedience Hearing this, they entered the temple at daybreak and began to teach. Why, why did God send an angel in the middle of the night to set them free? Why, why did God do that? God was teaching the twelve that He can deliver them from oppression anytime, anywhere, in any way he sees fit. He delivered in a similar way two other times in Acts, once with Peter in 12, chapter 6, verse 11, and with Silas in chapter 16, verse 26. Uh, though the latter time, he did that chapter 12, verse, or 16, verse 26, he doesn't want them to escape, but to stay in the jail despite the doors being opened up for them. The apostles now knew that God could deliver them from the clutches of death at any time. That's why God set them free. To encourage them and to encourage us that God can deliver us from the clutches of death at any time. That there is no time that we cannot be delivered from whatever difficult situation that we find ourselves in. If church tradition is true in regards to all of the apostles and in regards to many of the early saints, and I believe that church tradition is, and these are not scriptural accounts of this, but just stories that has been passed down from generation to generation. If these stories are true, and I believe they are, then listen, Matthew, he knew the reality of an angelic presence and he suffered martyrdom by the sword. Matthew. So did Mark when he died in Alexandria after being dragged through the streets of the city. Luke and Philip experienced the same when, when they were hanged from a tree. It was John's realization when he was put into the cauldron of, of boiling water. It was Peter's Understanding as he was crucified upside down in Rome. James as he was beheaded in Jerusalem. Bartholomew when he was flogged and beaten until he died. Andrew when he was bound to a cross and preached at the top of the lungs until he died. Thomas who was run through with a javelin. Jude who was killed by executioner's arrows. Matthias who was stoned to death. After he was stoned to death he was beheaded. And Paul who was also beheaded in Rome. On and on it goes, stories after stories it goes. All of these died, listen, all of these died after the story that we're reading today. They knew 
Proclaiming the name of Jesus could cause them to death. They also knew that God at any time could free them, and they continued to preach the gospel. All of these died knowing that God can deliver them. Listen, when Scripture says that when waves of persecution or waves of trials or waves of difficulty come on us, God can, if He so desires, deliver us from this. No matter how dark or oppressive the situation we are in, the overwhelming truth is this. He can rescue us. Believe it. He can rescue us. Turn, turn over to Hebrews chapter 12. Hebrews chapter 12. It'll also be on the screen if you want to follow along the screen and just write it down in the margin of your Bible. Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. Listen to what it says. Therefore, since we have a great cloud of witnesses, Hebrews, the writer of Hebrews is, is speaking specifically of all the Old Testament, and some of the New Testament, or all the Old Testament Uh, heroes of the faith. But I believe you could take the list that I just read through all of the apostles and these early church fathers who died uh, uh, as, as martyrs. And we could take this same thing. Therefore, since we also have such a large cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us lay aside, church, let us lay aside every hindrance and sin that so easily ensnares us and let us run with endurance the race that lies before us, keeping our eyes on Jesus. Watch this part. Keeping our eyes on Jesus, the source and the perfecter of our faith, for the joy that lay before him, he endured the cross, despising the shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Oh, may we be found faithful. Despite the ridicule, in face of persecution, May we be found faithful going and telling about the life that God can give and the life that God can deliver us from. May we be found faithful telling people about the freedom in Christ, telling people about new life in Christ, that we are new. The old things have passed away. That old, that old person has died, but now new life has come. May we be found faithful. Finding, telling people about the joy that can be uh, found in Christ, setting us free from our addictions. May we be found faithful. May we be found obedient. Telling people about eternity that can be had with Christ, who washes away our sins, who cleanses us, who, who purifies us from all unrighteousness. Listen, I believe we are surrounded by a people who believe that they cannot be cleansed because of the sin that they have committed currently or in their past. And they are living in guilt and they don't have to. Oh, may we be found faithful. Listen, by the life we live in the words we speak, may we be obedient. May we be found faithful going and telling about our Savior Jesus Christ. Listen, we have a great cloud of witnesses. All of the Old Testament Hebrews of the faith, all of the New Testament Hebrews of the faith, heroes of the faith who are, who are cheering us on saying, listen, it is worth it. You can do it. By the power of Jesus Christ, you can be obedient. You can be faithful to live in a way that brings honor and glory to God and bring as many people with you to the glory of heaven.
Oh, let's move on. Scene number two. A sunrise surprise. Scene number two, a sunrise surprise. The high priest, the entire courtroom, no doubt they are getting ready and they, they know that this is a big day. They're going to set an example. They're going to make an example of these 12 apostles. There's no doubt that these guys, they have their, their best white shirt on. They have their red power tie and they are ready to make an example of these 12 apostles who they believe is in jail. The cameras are on. Fox News and CNN is in the back, and they're recording these courtroom proceedings. You following me? What's, what's happening in the, in the scene? This is a big deal, what's going on. Look at what happens, verse 21, the, the latter part of verse 21. When the high priest and those who were with him arrived, they convened the Sanhedrin, all of the court, in full counsel of the Israelites, and sent orders to the jail to have them brought. Can you, can, you, can you hear the arrogance? We're ready. Go get the 12. Have them brought to stand before us. Little did they know what was about to happen. But when the servants got there, they did not find them in jail. So they returned and they reported. Look at what they said. Verse 23, we found the jail securely locked with the guards standing in front of the doors. But when we opened them, we found no one inside. Guess who's now has a knot? in the back of their throat, who has some sickness in their stomach. Verse 24, as the, camp, uh, the captain of the temple police, part of the Sanhedrin, part of the people who's in the courtroom that day, he is responsible for these prisoners. As the captain of the temple police and the chief priests heard these things, they were baffled about them, wondering what would come of this. Someone came and reported to them, look, the men you put in jail are standing in the temple and teaching the people. Listen, these religious leaders haven't yet learned yet that when God works, He often defies explanation. When God works, He often defies explanation. He moves wherever He wishes. He does whatever He pleases. Not even prison bars can keep His people down. Listen, he invades the lives of people willing to take a stand for him. That's an example we see with the 12 apostles there in prison. Quickly, let's move on to the next scene. Scene three, courage before the court. Verse 26, then the commander went with the servants. They, they know that they're in the city in the temple preaching. Then the commander went with the servants and brought them in without force because they were afraid the people might stone them. After they brought them in, they had them stand before the Sanhedrin, and the high priest asked, didn't we strictly order you not to teach in his name? You'll find that, that instruction in chapter 4, verse 18, when Peter and John were first arrested for doing this exact same thing. Didn't we tell you not to be doing this? Isn't this why we put you in jail? Look, you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching. Look at what it says. You really begin to see there, Jealousy began to work its way out. You fill Jerusalem with your teaching, and you're determined to make us guilty for this man's blood. Whose blood? Jesus's. You're, you're determined to make us guilty for this man's blood. Well, they were. <laughs> They're the ones that, that falsely accused him. They're the ones that put him on the cross. Look at how Peter and the apostles replied, verse 29. 
We must obey God rather than people. The God of our ancestors raised up Jesus. Look at what they said. Underline this. Whom you had murdered. Who's, who's he talking to? The Sanhedrin, the, the, the chief priest, and all of those in the court who's saying, you're determined to have his blood on our hands. And they say, yeah. The God of our ancestors raised up Jesus. Now I know many of you, many of those in the courtroom didn't believe in the resurrection. And they're saying, the God of our ancestors, they raised him up. We believe in the resurrection. Whom you had murdered by hanging him on a tree. God exalted this man to his right hand as ruler and savior to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. We are witnesses of these things and so is the Holy Spirit whom God has given to those who obey him. This is their testimony. They could have apologized. They don't. We must obey God rather than you. Verse 33, when, the high, when they, the high court, heard this, they were enraged and wanted to kill them. Now, now what they were doing, the apostles, was not, they were guilty of doing what they were not supposed to do, but the guilt didn't have the death penalty, okay? That, that, wasn't, that wasn't a crime worthy of the death penalty. But look at what he says. When they heard this, the high court heard this testimony, they were enraged and wanted to kill them. Why are they so hungry? Why are they so angry? Peter basically says, yeah, you are guilty of this man's blood. Not only are you guilty of this man's blood, but also look back at verse 31. God exalted this man to his right hand as ruler and savior to give repentance to Israel and the forgiveness of sins. No longer are people going to have to come to you for forgiveness of sins. No longer are people going to have to come to you to repent. Jesus Christ is the one who gives repentance. Oh, listen, you, you begin to see the jealousy, begin to, the, the rage and the, and, the, and the anger. And it doesn't stop there, verse 32, when we are witnesses of these things. So the Holy Spirit whom God has given to those who obey him. You mean to tell me that you have the Holy Spirit, you can speak on behalf of God, you no longer have to go to the chief priest? Yeah, that's right. And they were enraged. They were they, they were so mad, they were ready to do an act that was illegal in their own law. They wanted to take illegal action. They wanted to bend the rules, so to speak, because they were so angry. Listen, you can't underestimate their anger. My, gra- my grandma used to say, my grandma didn't get mad very often. But when she did, you knew she was angry because she would say something like this. That makes me so mad I could just spit. <laughs> that, was her, that was the worst that she had. Like that was bad. If my grandma could spit, she was angry. She was a calm person. But man, when that happened, you knew. I mean, that, that's how angry. These, these people, they, they wanted to have them killed. Scene four, requested, requested release from an unlikely source. This is so good. When they heard this, again, verse 33, they were enraged and wanted to kill them. 
but a Pharisee, one of, the own, one of their own from the courtroom, Pharisee named Gamaliel, a teacher of the law who was respected by all the people, he stood up in the Sanhedrin and he ordered the men to be taken outside for a little while. Listen, Gamaliel is, is incredibly wise. He is highly educated. He is a respected member of the court and all of Jerusalem. But listen, he is a man that is lost. He doesn't believe in Jesus Christ. And as far as we know, he never can. We have no biblical record of him ever coming to faith in Jesus Christ. But Gamaliel makes a profound statement that is as true today as it was when it was spoken. And I want you to see something, that God sometimes uses lost people to proclaim His truth. That's what we see in Gamaliel. Listen to what he says, verse 35. Gamaliel stands up. He sends the apostles out. Men of Israel, be careful what you are about to do to these men. He knows that there's jealousy. He knows that the anger is ready to have these guys killed. Be careful what you're about to do. And he tells these two stories. Some time ago, Thaddeus rose up, claiming to be somebody in a group of about 400 men, rallied to him. He was killed, and all of his followers was dispersed and came to nothing. Otherwise, this false prophet raised up. He had a bunch of people following, but when he was killed, it all dissipated. He tells another story very similar. After this, man, Judas the Galilean rose up in the days of the census and attracted a following. He also perished and all of his followers were scattered. So in this present case, I tell you, stay away from these men and leave them alone. For if this plan, here's the statement that I believe is as true today as it was the day that it was spoken. For if this plan or this work is of human origin, it will fail. But... But if it is of God, you will not be able to overthrow them. You may even be found fighting against God. Do you hear that? You can't overthrow them. The church will not be defeated. Listen, when you are sent on mission from God by His church in His power, you cannot be defeated. Does that mean everything is is tulips and sunshine and roses? Absolutely not, as we see in this story. But you will not be defeated, and God's plan will not be stopped. It says there at the end of verse 39, they were persuaded by Him. In other words, they were talked down from the cliff from killing them. Look at what happens, verse 40. After they called in the apostles, they had them flogged. In other words, words, they were whipped, each one of them, 39 times. Their backs were shred open. They looked like they had been through a meat grinder. They ordered them not to speak in the name of Jesus and release them. You still want to be a part of this group? (laughs) Remember, we liked the first part. We liked the, the bookend, the last part but isn't this sometimes what life is like i mean none of us have been flogged and probably never will be but we get in front of people who don't want to hear us preach the gospel or say anything about jesus christ don't we We get in front of people daily who who might make fun of the way we live our life the decisions that we make Look at verse 41, scene 5. Joyful obedience. Joyful 
obedience. They went out from the presence of the Sanhedrin. Watch this. This is remarkable. Rejoicing. Wait a minute. Is this the same 12 guys who were just been flogged? Yes. They leave being flogged, rejoicing that they were counted worthy to be treated shamefully. That, that means to be dishonored. That means to be disgraced. Why? They were, they were happy that they were flogged? No, no, no. They, were, they weren't jumping up and down that they were flogged. I, I guarantee you, they were hurting. There was pain. There was some real issues, struggles going on. But here's where their joy was at. Their joy was in being found dishonored for the name of Jesus Christ. They found joy. They were rejoicing that they were counted worthy to be treated, to be disgraced on behalf of the name of Jesus Christ. Oh, we can learn so much from that. That as we, as we go out into our jobs, as we go out into our families, as you go out into school, that we would be found, we, we would be found worthy. That someone would dishonor us because of the stand that we are making for Jesus Christ, if it is a true stand for Jesus Christ. Not just being a jerk. This is joyful. Obedience. I can't help but to point out the contrast between the apostles and the religious leaders. The religious leaders became jealous when someone else was getting honored. That's what started this, right? They became jealous when someone else was getting honored. The apostles rejoiced that they were counted worthy to be treated shamefully on behalf of the name of of Jesus Christ. One led to jealousy. The other led to joy. There was joyful obedience in Christ by the apostles. Now, let me repeat the statement I made earlier. There is nothing in this world that has the power to rob you of your joy. There's nothing that has the power to rob you of your joy. Listen, this statement is true regardless of whether or not you are experiencing at this moment. Because sometimes we look at our life and go, man, that's not true in my life. Oh, it's true. It is a true, I believe this is true with every fiber of my being. It's, It's not dependent on what's going on in my life or what's going on in your life. It is a true statement that there is nothing that has the power to rob you of your joy. Listen, every area of my life that I'm not experiencing joy, I'm not talking about the absence of trouble. I can still have trouble. I can still have, 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 have difficult days. I'm not talking about that. But any area of my life that I'm not experiencing joy is an area that needs to become a matter of prayer, asking God this, how can I honor you in this situation? God, how, how can I, as, as if, I, if, if it ever happened that we were being flogged, how can I honor you by being flogged by preaching the gospel? By living out my faith, by bringing honor and glory to you with the decisions of my mate. God, how can I honor you? God, what do you want to teach me in this situation? 
What can I learn about you in this situation? Listen, and when he shows you, there is joy. When you find a way to honor God in every situation that we go in, listen, then joy. Fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience. But joy begins to grow. Listen, nothing has the power to rob you of your joy. And listen, this might not even be on your radar, but it should. Joyless Christians do not attract people to a joyful God. Let me say that again. Joyless Christians do not attract people to a joyful God. Are we bearing false witness because we're not joyful in situations? I've been a false witness because I haven't been joyful in situations. Listen, like I am a pro at saying, why am I having to go through this? I've succeeded in that statement. I've learned to ask God. I am learning to ask God, God, why am I going through this and what do you want to teach me? God, show me as I go through this how I can honor you. Listen, joyless Christians do not attract people to be a joyful God. So real quick, let's bring this to a close. How can we choose joy? How can we choose joy? Number one, ready? This one, I'm going to, this is, they're going to get easier after this one. Realize that joy will not find you. How can you choose joy? Number one, realize joy will not find you. You have to choose joy every single day. Sometimes, several times throughout the day, you have to choose joy. It will not choose you. I hate to tell you this, but listen, no one is waking up every single morning, with the exception of your spouse, and sometimes that's questionable, no one is waking up every morning thinking about how they can bring you joy. It's just, that's kind of hard to accept, but I think some people are like going through life. Like, why aren't you bringing? Why aren't you bringing? Why in this situation? No, listen, they're trying to find joy in their own life. They're not thinking about your joy. You have to find it. You have to seek it out. You have to choose it. It will not choose you. Number two, how can we choose joy? Listen, joy is found by walking in obedience to God. Do you think the, do you think the apostles would have found joy? If they would have not gone to the temple, if they would have been set free and kind of gone back to doing their thing, guess who would have found them? The Sanhedrin would have found them. They put them in jail. They would have found them, and they would have brought them back, and they still would have been flogged, and they would have been told, don't ever preach, and they'd say, oh, yeah, absolutely not. You think they would have walked out rejoicing? Oh, absolutely not. Joy is found walking in obedience to God. Go. The angel said, and they went. Stand in the temple. That's exactly where they went. Tell. That's exactly what they did. And we see at the end of this, verse 42, it says, Every day in the temple in various homes they continued teaching and proclaiming the good news that Jesus is Messiah. If you want to jump ahead to next week, chapter 6, it says that the church continued to grow. Joy is found in walking in obedience 
to God. King David was filled with brokenness because of his sin with Bathsheba and the cover-up of that whole thing. For over a year, he walked in depression. He was down and he was, he was in the dumps. In Psalms 51, here's what we hear David praying. In Psalms 51 verse 12, he says this, Restore to me the joy of my salvation, O God. He'd been walking in disobedience, covering up his sin. He finally uncovers it, and he cries out to God, Restore to me the joy of my salvation. Joy is found in walking in obedience. Number three, true joy is found in a relationship with Jesus Christ. Listen, you cannot have joy without a relationship with Jesus Christ. Oh, you can have moments of little happiness here and there, but you cannot have true joy absent of a relationship with Jesus Christ. 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 8-9 through 9 says this, Though you have not seen Him, you love Him. Though not seeing Him now, you believe in Him, and you rejoice with inexpressible and glorious joy. Oh, listen, do you have a relationship with Jesus Christ? Have you given your life to Jesus Christ? I'm not talking about, do you know things about Him? I'm talking about, have you given your life to Jesus Christ? If the answer is yes, then listen, you are capable as you live on mission, filled with the power of God, sent by his word, sent by his church. As you walk out these doors, listen, no matter what situation you find yourself in, you can walk in joy. And today, let today be the day that you say yes to Jesus Christ. Oh, for those of us who know Jesus Christ, who... who We've bought into the first part of the story. We, we kind of jumped on this train when it was popular. It's not so much popular these days. We're not sure we kind of like this middle part. We're maybe just kind of hanging on until eternity comes. We're just waiting for eternity. Listen, you don't have to just wait for eternity. You can't live on mission today by saying, Oh God, what I'm going through, I want to go through for your honor and for your glory. Will you show me how I can bring honor to you? Will you teach me how I can do that? And I trust, I know that God will do that for me. Thank you for listening to this sermon. If you'd like more information about our church or have any questions regarding the sermon you just heard, we would love to hear from you. You can visit our website at www.fbcfarwell.org or send an email to info at fbcfarwell.org. You can also find us on Facebook and Twitter by searching FBC Farwell. It is our prayer that the sermon you listened to was equally challenging and edifying to your walk with Christ. Thank you again for listening and have a blessed week.